folks welcome back to another episode of triple g ginger's gridiron and golf podcast here we got another great episode on the slate here for you talking nfl football we're talking nfc west afc west we're going out to the wild wild west we're gonna have dutch on again talking the world of golf wells fargo our picks we're gonna have a ginger's garbage a little bit later on and this week's picks for the byron nelson Folks, we've got a jam-packed slate in the next coming weeks. Don't miss out on tomorrow night's live Instagram live show doing a schedule breakdown of the NFL as it gets released at 8 p.m. The Greek is joining Ginger, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Instagram Live. Come join us. We're going to answer all your interactive questions live. We're going to go through the schedule week by week, strength of schedule, possible road trips, all the primetime games, it's going to be uh, an absolute blast, so make sure you are uh, you don't miss out on that. We've also got two preview shows coming up. we got next week's PGA Championship at Kiowa. We're going to have a big golf guest on live from on-site at Kiowa Island. And then the week after, we're talking the Women's U.S. Open at Olympic Club in San Francisco. Got another amazing LPGA Tour guest joining us as well. So uh, we're jacked up here for the next couple weeks and into June on Triple G. Before we get uh, into the AFC and NFC West breakdown, I want to talk about a couple things happening here in the NFL. Number one, we're talking in we're into round two of NFL free agency. We got the likes of first overall draft pick Eric Fisher getting signed by the uh, Indianapolis Colts this week. We've got if you're following us live on Instagram, yes, he's back. Guess who's back? Tim Tebow sounds like he is going to sign a contract here with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, a lot of players in the league are not too happy about it, but uh, they're just going to have to deal with it because Tim Tebow could be back in the NFL here in 2021. And the last thing on the slate before we dive into the NFC West was uh, one to talk about the single digits or the change in the rule in the numbers that uh, NFL players are allowed to wear. It has finally gone through. And the likes of Robert Woods wearing number two. We've got all the uh, the updates on it. So make sure you're hitting up, making sure you you know what uh, your favorite player is wearing. But for me, I know a bunch of the players uh, were against it. What I find interesting about it is it's going to be real interesting to see what happens with the formations. Um, I know the, the guys and gals on the sidelines, uh, when they run these formations out, a lot of it is based off of these numbers, i.e., uh, tight ends and receivers in the in the 80s in the high teens um, and defenders uh, linebackers in the 50s defensive end uh, defensive end and linemen in the 90s uh, safeties and corners in the 20s and 30s and sometimes in the 40s a lot of these formations are dictated and expressed and communicated to the players on the field uh, from the booth above from the sidelines to uh, to counteract what the other team's doing so, you know, you get the likes of someone like Tom Brady. That's why I believe he's against it, because I think it's going to make it a lot more difficult uh, of a job for, for quarterbacks, 
for um, formation setters, for the defensive coordinators, offensive coordinators, um, whoever's dictating that pace uh, in terms of the football game of getting their formations on the field. Uh, it's going to be an interesting adjustment, and it's going to be it, it, uh, difficult for some of these players, some of these quarterbacks, like I said, to uh, to pick up who's actually coming on the field and what formations are coming out onto the field. So real interesting uh, rule change there. I just thought I'd uh, shed a little insight on it. So let's dive into the NFC West here. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. And before we uh, we get too far as we always do, we're going to go to our, uh, our resident uh, professional or expert on the San Francisco 49ers. We've got host of the Candlestick Chronicles podcast working for um, Niners Wire with US Today right in there. He's doing 95.7 the game as well. Kyle Madsen, I hope you enjoy our conversation with Kyle. All right, listeners, let's give a triple G welcome to Kyle Madsen, um, host of the Candlestick Chronicles podcast at Blue Wire Pods, right from 95.7 the game. And the Niners wire writing for USA Today. Kyle, you on the line with us here? Yeah, yeah, I got you loud and clear. How's it going, man? Not too bad. Yourself? Uh, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Of course. Happy to do it. Well, Kyle, let's let's get right into it before we get into uh, the wine talk a little bit later on, because I know you're a big wine guy. But yes. um, let's, uh, let's talk about what everybody's talking about. We'll get that out of the way first. Um, Trey Lance, did, did Kyle Shanahan get his guy? Did he get his way in the, in the draft room? Is he the perfect fit for for Shanahan in this offense? Yeah, I think so. I I think a lot of the Mac Jones stuff was maybe a little bit overblown. I think at some point Jones was the guy, maybe when they were at 12, and maybe they moved up being with his name in mind. Like They were comfortable if they dug into the other quarterbacks and just didn't see it, or whatever you want to say, I think they moved up because they saw something with Lance that said, wow, this is a guy we have to move up for. And if, if something had come up in their research that, you know, maybe he was a just bad person or they didn't get along or there was something they saw on the tape that they didn't like or whatever it was, they were comfortable falling back on Jones. But I think they moved up when it became clear that, that Kyle Shanahan wanted Trey Lance, because really it doesn't matter who else in the building wanted it was it's Kyle Shanahan's pick this is going to be this is he has control of the roster it was going to be his quarterback and so yeah I think Trey Lance is the guy I think a lot of the Mac Jones stuff got overblown and as far as Lance being a fit I think he is a fit in the traditional sense that you hear a lot about where he can play from under center he did that a lot in college played with a fullback turns his back to the defense on on play action, which is a skill you have to acquire because you then have to get your head around and reset your eyes and, and and make throws. We know about all the physical tools he has with his athleticism and his big time arm. So all that stuff fits into the Shanahan scheme, but then you tack on that running ability, that, that elite running ceiling where I don't think we're going to see him run it 10 to 15 times a game, but just the fact that it's there is going to make the Niners more dangerous. I think offensively. Yeah, there's no doubt, and you know, he gets rolling uh, in the passing game, and then on on a you know a third and long, and needs to scramble for 12 or 15 yards to keep those chains moving. That's something that uh, that not every quarterback and not every team has yeah. in their in their arsenal for sure. 
Um, where does this leave Jimmy G, Kyle? You know, you always hear about, uh, you know, the Albert Breers of the world talking about, you know, when you draft a quarterback in the first round over the last 20 years, the average um, time before they see the field is about eight games. Are we going to see Trey Lance here in year one by, you know, week 10, week 12? Or is this still Jimmy G's show? And is he going to have full opportunity to try to make another uh, Super Bowl run with this roster? It's going to be fascinating because I think Trey Lance, at some point during camp, it's going to become clear that he's the more talented player. It's just a matter of how fast he can pick up the offense. Right now, I I, I would project that Garoppolo at least starts week one. Peter King wrote in his Football Morning in America column, he set the over-under for Garoppolo starts at 10 and then said he would take the over. I would go under that just based on the fact we have no evidence that that Jimmy Garoppolo can reliably stay healthy for 10 or more games. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's going to be a necessity at some point that Lance starts, whether the team thinks he's ready or not. If Garoppolo gets hurt, they're not going to go to Nate Sudfeld or, or Josh Rosen. They're going to go to the number three overall pick. They're going to go to Trey Lance unless he's really bad which is a is a whole other problem. But they believe he's pro-ready. They think he's ready I, I, I'm I'm guessing if, if he had to start week two or had to play in week one, if, if Garoppolo goes down, which was the case last year, first half of week two, he goes down. Uh, I, I think they would have to be comfortable playing Lance in that situation. And if they are, then you have to imagine that Garoppolo's leash is going to be relatively short on how many games he's going to start because they're wa- going to want to put Lance in there. And if he's ready and can orchestrate the offense, he's going to be the more talented player and he's going to give him the better chance to win. Yeah, for sure. There's no doubt. Um, did, did, did the 49ers have the best draft in this division? When you, when you start to look at it and break it down, Kyle, you know, they've added some nice pieces and, and especially late, you know, I like, I like the pickups of Trey Sermon and Amber, Ambry Thomas. When you look at the division in entirety, what, uh, what are your thoughts there? The, I'm going to put a pin in the Rams for a second. I really liked what the Cardinals did. I think, I think Zayvon Collins, the linebacker they picked up in, in the first round, is going to be a really good player. Rondell Moore was one of my favorite receivers in the entire draft. He went one pick after the 49ers took Aaron Banks. I thought there was an outside chance they might actually take Moore. Uh, mm-hmm. Not a big guy, but just an insane athlete. Like You you put up 1,800 all-purpose yards or whatever it was as a, as a true freshman in the Big Ten. You're, you're doing something right. I think Tay Gowan. The cornerback they they picked up is a is a really good player. So I, I I like that trio. I admittedly don't know a ton about the rest of their class, but those are three guys that I was pretty high on going into the draft, and and the and the Cardinals scooped them. What the Rams are doing is so fascinating to me because they're bucking so many trends on how we view team building, and they've basically said we have Aaron Donald, we're going to pay him as the highest paid defensive player. Then we're going to trade for Jalen Ramsey and we're going to pay him and we're going to trade for, for Matthew Stafford to try and upgrade under center. And they're going to pay those guys. And then they're going to fill in the margins of their roster with, with just a bunch of lower round draft picks. They picked 57th and then they didn't pick again until 103. 103. That's right. And they, and they had four, eight, nine, 10 draft picks. Like that's, that's, I think, the way that we're going to see the Rams operate moving forward. And I'm wondering if we see teams copy that strategy, if it, if it winds up working out for them. Because if you have four or five really star top two or three players at their position in the league, 
and you just throw enough darts at the draft, you're going to fill out a good enough roster to, to be a Super Bowl contender, especially if you're getting high level play at quarterback. So I'm fascinated to see how it works. I, I didn't like, I didn't love the two, two Atwell pick. Um, but Ernest Jones, a linebacker from South Carolina, I thought he was a player the 49ers might look at just because yeah. they have a strange South Carolina pipeline. But I, I just, I really love the thought process behind, behind their team building strategy. So they loaded up on a bunch of dudes that, that I'd not heard of or, or watched very sparingly. So I don't have a ton of takes on it, but what they did in terms of their, their long-term uh, roster, I, I think is very interesting. I love that. I love that in, insight for sure. Let it, switching back to the, uh, the 49ers now here. And I, I mentioned him earlier because I think, you know, uh, with the, with an injury and he's going to get a fair chance to contribute, especially in Shanahan's offense with the amount that the 49ers run the ball. Um, who's, who are some of the sleepers out of the 49ers draft? You know, I, I like Trey Sermon, like I said, and Amory Thomas, um, but who, who do you like in this draft? Is it a Jalen Moore or Lenore? Um, let our listeners know. So the, the 49ers draft, it's, it's so odd because their free agency went so well that they were, it, it seemed to me when I was, once I zoomed out and looked, I think, I think they were drafting for like next year because you mentioned Ambry Thomas, the, the cornerback they took in the third round. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to start this year without an injury. Now, Jason Verrett is projected to be one of the starters. That's right. We know his injury history. It's not great. Uh, if they re-sign Richard Sherman, which is on the table now, he's in preliminary talks with the team. He's also talking to the Seahawks. But if he comes back, now Thomas gets pushed further down the depth chart. But I think he's a player that 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 they really, really like. And John Lynch, general manager, indicated that Adam Peters, who's their head personnel guy, John Lynch is kind of like a figurehead, whereas Adam Peters is the actual personnel guy. I guess he really pounded the table for Thomas. So I'm fascinated to see what he does. He was excellent in 2019 and opted out in 2020. So I agree with you. I'm I'm excited to see him. Lenore, Diamador Lenore from Oregon. I don't anticipate Oregon. him coming in uh, this year if if – if K1 Williams goes down at the nickel corner, then maybe, but I think they envision him as a slot player. Um, you mentioned Jalen Moore. They're transitioning him from left tackle to the interior. I think he'll battle at right guard, but they spent a second round pick on Aaron Banks from Notre Dame. I, I think he'll get the starting right guard job. So I don't anticipate seeing a lot of more. Uh, the guy I'm really excited to watch though, is their fifth round pick Talanoa Hufanga from uh, USC. The dude in his opening presser says he wants to be a pro bowler on special teams. And I just oh, I love it. Yeah. It's just, and then you watch how he plays and it's like, I could see that I could, I could see him being successful in the NFL as a defender, but I could just see where he's just that guy that every time you look up, he's coming out of the bottom of the pile on special teams. So I'm just excited to see him run around and play football. I think he's, he's a guy that just really, really enjoys playing football. And if he does wind up playing on defense, he really filled up the stat sheet at, at USC spends a lot of time around the line of scrimmage, always finds his way to the football, not straight line fast. Didn't run a very good 40, I think in the four sixes, but he finds a way to be around the football. He's just a, just a really solid football player. So I think all those guys with the exception of Aaron Banks, our second round pick, and then Trey Sermon, who who I think might wind up leading the team in rushing this year. If, if he stays I got healthy, him. I got him as a sleeper as the offensive rookie of the year. I really do. I, I think in this scheme, 
this fit, if, if Wilson or Mozart go down and he gets a fair shake at this, I just really like his run style in this, in this scheme. I think he's got a good chance to be productive. I wholeheartedly agree. I'm not even sure it'll take an injury to Jeff Wilson. I'm not sure how good Jeff Wilson Jr. is. He had that kind of breakout last year, but I don't know if that was, I, I don't know what that was him being good or just kind of a, of a lightning in the bottle, you know, mm -hmm. half dozen, seven, eight games. I think mm -hmm. Sermon has a chance to just consistently be really good, be the RB2, and then you said it. like Raheem Mostert's dealt with injuries the last couple of years. If he gets banged up at all, uh, Sermon's going to get a ton of carries to begin with, a ton yep. of touches. If if Mostert's not there, I think I think he starts seeing – I don't want to call him a featured back because you're never going to get that in a Kyle Shanahan offense, but yeah. as, as close as you're going to get to it. I love it. Um, I'll switch it up here for Anya. You mentioned a couple of the, the, the defensive players that, that are coming in and, and some of the free agents. What's the plan here from D'Amico Ryans in terms of, you know, we see Robert Sala exit, become the head coach of the New York Jets. What's his plan here? Is it is it to stay consistent with, with a lot of zone coverage or are we going to see a, a little bit of a multiple look here and, and some different things from that 49ers defense this season? That's a dynamite question that I would, if you know the answer, like, let me know. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> um, that's kind of the big, that's kind of the big question when you're, when we we sit here on the podcast I host with, with Chris Biederman, he's a beat writer for the 49ers, for the Sacramento Bee, he's a 49ers beat writer for the Sacramento Bee, and then Nick Wagner, who covers the 49ers for ESPN, we talk a lot, and that's a lot of what we, it, that's that's like one of the biggest question marks is okay we know how talented a lot of these guys are but what's the scheme going to look like last year they went to a lot more man than we're used to seeing from them because they were so beat up on the defensive line they just weren't generating a ton of pass rush they were blitzing more they were running more man coverage and i i think that was a necessity based out of personnel and who was available yep. i i can't imagine because D'Amico, like, dude D'Amico ryan's was playing in the nfl six years ago yeah he, right. yeah he just started coaching in 2017 and very i mean everybody speaks glowingly of him and of course the team thinks highly of him to hire him in 2017 and then as a linebackers coach and then make him the defensive coordinator five seasons later but i can't imagine he's going to come in and have these dramatically different ideas about what kind of defensive scheme he wants to run kyle shanahan hired robert sala because he hates going against that defensive scheme as an offensive coach. So we may see some things get get changed up here and there, but I don't think it'll be super noticeable like it was last year, where it's like, wow, they've just kind of abandoned zone coverage entirely. I, I think we'll still see plenty of that, maybe with some different wrinkles, but I think in in general, the the main philosophy is going to stay the same of of a lot of cover three, pressuring the quarterback with with four, timing your blitz as well. That's what Robert Sala was really good at, and I'm fascinated to see uh, how how, how D'Amico Ryan's adjusts as a play caller. Yeah, for sure. Um, who's who is your underdog pick right now? As the schedule is going to be released in in T minus twenty four hours here for the uh, the Forty Niners home opener. Do you want to see Green Bay? You want to see Atlanta with the, you know, the tie back to Shanahan and and with the draft and, and some of the stuff that went on, or do you think it's going to be the traditional, you know, Rams, Cardinals, Seahawks, and and keep it within the division? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I imagine they'll probably go with 
with a division game just because there's so many interesting storylines in their division this year. But like you bring up the Packers. I have no idea what to make of the Packers and I wouldn't either. If you're a schedule maker, do you want, do you want to put Niners Packers week one and Aaron Rodgers may not be there? Um, I I'm, I'm, I have I have no idea. So <laughs> I imagine they will go with with uh, with the division game early. Part of me wants to say the Bears because of the whole Justin Fields angle. But if they schedule Bears Niners Week One and they get Andy Dalton against Jimmy Garoppolo, that saps a lot of the intrigue yeah. from that one. So I think they might try and push that one to later in the season and cross their fingers that the two rookies are starting by then and maybe even plug that game into prime time. But I, if 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 it's if it's not a division game, give me a team like like the Colts, like a team that might be sneaky, really good, where where we just get a really good Week One matchup between between two teams that that fancy themselves Super Bowl contenders. Oh, I love it, and a little Frank Wright, Kyle Shanahan uh, chess match in Week One, pulling out all the stops for sure. So um, now the most important question of all before we let you go here. Oh Kyle. boy. You're uh, we know you're a wine guy from all your social media stuff. Are you are you a local? Are you staying home in, in California? Or are you like red, white? Tell us uh, tell us what your flavor of choice is. Yeah, so I live in the I live in the San Francisco Bay Area or on the outskirts of it. Napa Valley is an hour 20 or so away. And my fiance's mom and my mom are both big winos. So they are members at various wineries up there at much nicer places than I would ever go uh, by myself. So I take full advantage of that up in Napa. There's uh, another smaller town. You've probably never heard of it. It's called Livermore, which is maybe half an hour from me. And it's a very underrated wine country down there. A lot of wineries in Livermore. If you're ever visiting the Bay area or the East Bay specifically, and you can get out to Livermore to, to taste some wine, I would recommend it very highly. I'm a red wine guy. I'm not super particular about where it's from. I've I've heard that wines in Europe, uh, Italy, France, um, out in uh, out in Greece as well, are all are all really good. I have some some friends who have played basketball internationally that that rave about the the wine in those in those areas. So I'm really looking forward to traveling over there and 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 having wine out there. But yeah, if I had to if I had to pick. Uh, I would I would probably just snag something from Napa Valley. There's a there's a few. There's one called Hall. There's a winery out here called Hall that is uh that's unbelievable. It's 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 some of the best wine I've ever tasted. So that's uh, that's what it. I would go with. Can't go wrong with Napa Valley. Kyle, we're gonna circle back uh, closer to the season here with you and, and bring you on as we get a little bit closer again. But uh, tell us one more time where our listeners can find you, what you have going on, and uh, we'll end it off at that. You can find me on Twitter, Kyle A. Madsen. That's M-A-D-S-O-N. I'm writing at NinersWire.com. Uh, I do essentially all the content over there with with uh, my buddy Mark DeLucci. And then I host the Candlestick Chronicles podcast with Chris Biederman. And that's been a lot of fun having guests and uh, just talking talking Niners year-round. It's uh, one of my favorite things to do. So I love it. Well, I appreciate it once doing. again. Thanks for coming on, Kyle. And uh like we said, we'll circle back closer to the season and get you on again. Yep, anytime, man. As all of our uh, experts do on Triple G, some great insight information provided uh, from Kyle and a great breakdown of, uh, of Trey Lance, Kyle Shanahan, and uh, D'Amico Ryans and what's on slate for the San Francisco 49ers uh, for 2021. 
But let's take a look now at uh, at the rest of the division because we dive pretty deep in there, and I'm sure you guys kind of got my feelings on uh, on what I believe um, could happen. But uh, for the San Fran, I wanted to touch on two points there before we move on. Number one, Trey Lance. You don't draft somebody third overall for them to not see the football field. I truly believe that if the right trade comes along, if we get into camp here, i.e. New England, uh, even Denver, if they don't, they're not comfortable with their quarterback situation, Cam Newton, Mac Jones, somebody's not in the right spot um, performance-wise, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see San Francisco or some of these teams pull the trigger on a, on a Jimmy Garoppolo trade, especially the Denver Broncos. Uh, we're going to get into what, uh, what they did in the draft here uh, in part two of our West breakdown here, but... I just can't see San Francisco drafting Trey Lance doing what they did uh, or what they needed to do to move up in the draft to go get him and not have him on the football field uh, within the first 10, 12 games here. Love Trey, uh, Trey Sermon. Like I said to uh, to Kyle in the conversation, I think he's got a legitimate chance to be a sleeper offensive uh, rookie of the year pick for them. I just think it's a great scheme fit. I think he's a good, hard, tough runner. And um, I just don't like the uh, the injury vulnerability of Wilson and Mozart in front of him. So I think he's going to get a fair shot at that. But let's flip over now to uh, the Arizona Cardinals, an intriguing team. And, and when we look at the uh, the Cardinals, you know some of the team needs that we had before we before going into the draft in our draft preview show. You know we we talked about getting a getting a cornerback as we've seen Patrick Peterson uh, make his exodus out of Arizona. We looked at. Uh, getting at a receiver. You know, A.J. Green with some some health issues. You know, you got DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Kirk and Andy Isabella. But you don't got that stud number two receiver. And we need to improve the offensive line with something that we talked about. And a potential need at running back. I know James Conner comes over in free agency, but um, still that, oh, that home run hitter here. So, you know, as we keep those needs in mind, let's take a look at this Cardinals draft. And, we, and we'll start with the first round with Zavin Collins. Uh, you know, six foot three, uh, two hundred sixty pound linebacker out of Tulsa, rare athleticism. But when I when I look at this pick and I look at what the Cardinals do and I look at their needs, you know, y- y- you got Isaiah Simmons there. Y- you did draft Hassan Reddick. I know he's he's gone from there now, but you know you've you've tried these these hybrid athletic type of linebackers to to find you some some pass rush, but. It, it just hasn't seemed to work. And then you move into round two and you've got uh, Rondell Moore. Like um, like we talked about there, uh, you know, with Kyle, uh, with Sam Fran, and as he went through some of the, the uh, draft in the division. Five foot seven, 180 pounds. But he, you know, his comparables to Tyler Lockett, but he's not the number two receiver that you're looking for. You've got Christian Kirk out of the slot. You've got Andy Isabella out of the slot. You can split the tight end Max Williams out, who's a major mismatch as well. I just don't feel that within those first two rounds, they went and addressed their needs and what they were looking for. Listen, when you draft Kyler Murray first overall, and and you have him as your quarterback, and you trade for DeAndre Hopkins, this is not expected to be an 8-8 eight eight football team or, as we move into 2021, an 8-9 and football team or a 9-8 and eight football team as we move into the 17-game schedule here. This is a 
this team and and you get those players to be a, a championship contender and to make the playoffs every year, and then you move into the fourth round and you and you draft Marco Wilson out of Florida, who flashes at time but is a, is an inconsistent corner, and then you you know you draft a, a safety and and a cornerback and a center late in in the the rounds and and you try to get the kid out of Duke off the edge, who's a traditional uh, you know four three. Uh, defensive end in, in Victor uh, Damji. I just, I just don't see. I, I think they they address the needs, but they didn't get the impact playmakers at the right time. You know, you've you've got to find a way to go get a corner. Like we, you don't even have a starting caliber corner on this roster right now. And when you made that pick at sixteen and Zavin Collins, you know, you still had Caleb Farley out there. You still had uh, Greg Newsom. You know, and then you move down to uh, to 49, and you had the perfect fit in Terrence Marshall out of LSU to come in and be that that big number two wide receiver opposite of Hopkins. Learn from AJ Green; they could split time, keeps Green healthy. So a ton of different options for for Arizona. Uh, just did not like what they did at the time in which they did the time in which they picked. Um, if that makes sense. Moving on to Seattle, uh, not much happening in here in Seattle. And we know we heard Pete Carroll talk about, you know how, um, um, you know he he they didn't have the first round pick and the trade with the Jets, you know was the first round first round pick for them. But uh, not a, not a whole lot of playmakers. The only thing I, I liked that Seattle did was I liked the fact that they saw the Green Bay situation with Aaron Rodgers and, and not being able to go get um, a wide receiver for your quarterback when your quarterback demands or wants another wide receiver or another weapon. And whether their needs, you know, were, were cornerback and offensive line and defensive line and linebacker, the entire defense for that matter, um, as, you know, Seattle was not their typical um, defensive self last year. They were actually a, an absolute disaster from start to finish. But... Um, you know, I like that they they listen to Russell. You know, he was not happy at the end of last year as we went through meetings at the start of the off season after getting eliminated from the playoffs. Um, we know that he was not particularly happy with with um, the way in which the team was moving. So you went out and you got um, Dwayne Eskridge, you know, five nine one one ninety receiver from Western Michigan. And and listen, you know, you've got Lockett, you've got DK. But this kid's just an absolute home run hitter. He's got special speed. Uh, so now you're you're stretching the field vertically and horizontally. It takes a little bit of the pressure off. Lock it on some of those um, wide receiver screens, uh, some of those end arounds, those types of plays where now you can get this kid the ball with this special speed. We know the speed of DK. Hey, 10-3-6 in the 100-meter uh, dash, 10th place. I don't care what anybody says. That's impressive for uh, for minimal training. So, listen, do they still have, have some some needs? You're darn right they do, and, and they weren't really able to um, address a lot of them. They go out and get the corner and Trey Brown, the nickel corner, uh, in the fourth round, and then with their last pick in the sixth round, you know they get uh, Stone Foresight, big old tackle out of Florida, um, comparable to a, a Nate Soldier. You know the kid's an absolute mountain of a man, six nine, three hundred and fifteen pounds. So y- you know you tried to address the O line and you tried to address corner, listening to your quarterback. But um, we knew going into this that um, 
you know, their first round pick was Jamal Adams. They're going to stand by that, which is uh, which helps the secondary. You get the nickel corner and Trey. So, you know, just not not enough impact players, not enough draft picks to really give Seattle uh, a thumbs up and say, you know what, I like what they did. I'm giving them the thumbs down on this one, um, just because I thought they could have bucked the trend and took the corner um, in the second round. There were some decent corners still available at that time to uh, to pair opposite of Trey Flowers and, and with uh, Pierre Desaire, the free agent pickup uh, from Indy. Now we move on to the uh, the Los Angeles Rams, and, and we heard Mattson uh, earlier talk about how intrigued he was with this, this Rams draft. And when I started to break it down, I kind of gave it a par. We, we know how much they lost uh, in terms of, especially on the defensive side of the ball, in terms of playmakers. You know, you lose Troy Hill. Hey, that guy's, you know, a lot of, not a household name, but two defensive touchdowns last year. You lose Samson Ekibon, a nice uh, piece opposite of Leonard Floyd that could get to the uh, the passer. You lose John Johnson, love the safety, love, um, you know, his robber techniques and, and how he patrols that middle of the field and, and his physicality um, over the middle of the football field. So those are three nice not household names, but nice pieces on the defensive side that that exit the building. And when you look at their team needs moving in from what we talked about in our draft preview, we looked at you know continuing to build on that offensive line. We talked about when the Rams made their Super Bowl run, dominant offensive and defensive lines. And that's kind of faded away a little bit. We talked about corner and, and replenishing that corner spot behind and opposite behind Jalen Ramsey and opposite of him. Talked about linebacker and defensive line and a need-up receiver. Uh, I found that just too much of a workload for Cooper Cup and Bobby Woods to be able to um, keep up. Just, they're just asking them to do way too much, especially after the exodus of Brandon Cook, Cooks. And that's where it all starts. In that second round with the 57th uh, overall pick, you look at Tutu Atwell, wide receiver out of Louisville. Um, very similar to a Dwayne Eskridge in build and speed. 5'9", 165, and the kid can absolutely fly. And it's the exact same thing. It's now time to take Woods and Cup off of those wide receiver screens. You're going to be able to go four wide. You've got Deshaun Jackson there now. Woods, Cup. Atwell and Jackson, you've got some route runners. You've got some speed on the field now to stretch it down the field. Hopefully that opens up the intermediate game for the likes and the tacticians of Cup and Woods to work over the middle of the field. Then you go to round three, and we talked about an absolute thumper. 6'2", 230 inside linebacker out of South Carolina, Ernest Jones with the 103rd overall pick. Um, It's got some deficiencies, got some strengths, but... um, provides nice depth at the inside linebacker spot um, and can really stuff the run. So if they can keep him clean, um, he could be a real solid pickup. And then, you know, the meat and potatoes of their draft was uh, was rounds four and five. Um, when you look at it, three picks in the fourth round, you go uh, Bobby Brown out of Texas A&M off of the D-line. Um, just a massive a man and a nice replacement and a replenish after you let Michael Brockers walk out the door and go to Detroit and stay with Brad Holmes there in Detroit. So a nice little replenish there. You got Robert Rochelle, Central uh, Arkansas. This kid had a great, great test, showed great tape, like that pickup. 
And uh, Jacob Harris, 6'5", 219-pound wide receiver at a UCF. Um, love the pick with the 141st overall pick. And you know what? It's uh, it, Then you get an Ernest Brown in, in round five at 174. 6'4", 270 pounds, traditional 4-3 defensive end. So to me, it'll be interesting to see what happens here on the defensive side of the ball um, after Brandon Staley leaves as to what they want to do. Are they going to be multiple? Because they they drafted a little bit of both uh, in terms of 4-3, 3-4, hybrid, non-hybrid. And then they finish off with three picks in, in the seventh round, Jake Funk being one of them at uh, running back out of Maryland, a kid that uh, really flashed at uh, with his tape. So I give it a par for the Rams overall in terms of their draft. Some some nice pickups, um, interesting setup, interesting way to build the team, see if some of these pieces can fill the holes. And that, my friends, gives us the NFC well, West, West in a nutshell. As we break it down from the division, from the top to the bottom in its entirety, I still see San Fran having the best draft. Absolutely love what they did. Went out and got their future franchise quarterback. Aaron Banks is a 10-year is a starter in this league out of Notre Dame at 6'5", 338 pounds. An absolute mauler. Massive hands. Does he lack a little bit of athleticism? Yes. But you know what? Um, he's going to make up for it in effort. I know... Shanahan likes to be able to move those pieces in that zone blocking scheme, but uh, he'll be just fine, and he'll challenge uh, Lake and Tomlinson for, for a spot, starter spot there. You know how I feel about Trey Sermon and, and uh, Ambry Thomas, so really, really like what San Francisco did. I'm giving them top grade in the NFC West. Then I'm going to stick with my, uh, my par choice, if you will, with the uh, Los Angeles Rams coming in next. Then I'm going with the Arizona Cardinals, and I'll finish it out with three picks how can you not have them in the bottom three picks in a in a draft you're not going to be able to do a whole lot that's the seattle seahawks i'm really worried about their roster from top to bottom after uh, diving deep on it just does not look like a competitive roster in this division but that's how the nfc west draft shapes up now flipping over to the afc west and before we get this off the break we'll uh, we'll flip over to the afc west here now and let's start with the Denver Broncos. When we looked at the Denver Broncos in our, our pre-draft preview, we looked at uh, you know quarterback and offensive line, linebacker, defensive line, and running back kind of being some of the major team needs uh, moving forward. And and I think Denver did. Denver went about it a little bit of a different way. Okay, and and there's a couple things in this AFC West that uh that stand out to you that that may be different from some other divisions in the in the NFL. And when you look at it, the first thing being first is franchise quarterbacks. Okay. Patrick Mahomes, now Justin Herbert, and Derek Carr. Okay. However you you feel or you don't feel about Derek Carr, um he's been their franchise quarterback. Okay. We know Herbert's a franchise quarterback, and we don't need to even talk about Patty Mahomes. Well, Denver doesn't have that franchise quarterback, okay? And if you weren't going to be able to go out and get that franchise quarterback, what are you going to do? Okay? You're going to be try to cover the franchise quarterback that you're playing against and all of the weapons that they have. 
And when you start to break this down from Kansas City to the, some of the pieces that, that lot, the Chargers have picked up, to some of the weapons that the Raiders have picked up in terms of speed, um, Denver had no choice. And they went out and they got the most NFL-ready, polished cornerback in this draft in Patrick Sertan. He's got the lineage. Listen, when your comp is Namdi Asamoa, that is solid. And now you're going to pair him up with Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons at safety, Kyle Fuller and Ron Darby in in the outside corner and nickel corner spot, respectively. You've just built yourself a real solid secondary to really try to cover all of these pieces and, and every everything that you're going to have to do within this division. Love the seventh round sleeper in Kerry Vincent uh, Jr. out of LSU. I was pounding the table for the Bills to take him. Okay. Then we move on to the second round for Denver, and they get a home run hitter to pair with Melvin Gordon after Philip Lindsay is leaves. And I absolutely love this kid, and he's another sleeper, folks, for offensive rookie of the year in this system, with Trace opposite of uh, Trace Sermon in San Francisco. I love Javante Williams out of UNC. This kid is an absolute home run hitter, 5'10", 220, packs a punch, has NFL speed, has NFL elite quickness. Then we move to round three, the sweetheart darling out of Wisconsin Whitewater of the Senior Bowl, 6'3", 320, interior offensive line. He can play center, he can play guard. Um, He's going to challenge to start inside up. at that guard's position with Lloyd Cushenberry, who they drafted at LSU last year. So I love that pick in the third round. And then they draft two safeties back-to-back in round five out of Texas, out of uh, Indiana in Jamar Johns and uh, Caden Stearns. Love these picks. And I'm going to get into a little bit later when we talk about the Las Vegas Raiders as to why it's important to be able to get those safeties and get those hybrids uh, because it's point two in uh, this AFC West division that I think is ultra important when looking at this division. Now we move on to the Kansas City Chiefs and the rich just get richer. Um, Hey, you've totally rebuilt that offensive line. Uh, Absolutely unbelievable how how deep it is now and how much competition there's uh, going to be on there. You've got Orlando Brown and then you've got Joe Tooney, Austin Blythe comes over from the Rams. Tooney from from the 49ers. The trade with uh, Baltimore for Brown. Kyle Long comes back out of retirement. And the only name that most will recognize, and I don't even know if he was a starter last year. I know he played in the playoffs, but I think it was due to injury, was uh, Mike Remners as your starting offensive line. Pretty solid. And you haven't even mentioned the doctor coming back. Um, LDT coming back from uh, from Canada now. Sounds like he's going to be a go to come back and join the Kansas City Chiefs. So a deep, solid offensive line. And what do you do? With uh, round two with the 61st overall pick, you dra- draft Creed Humphrey, center, interior offensive lineman, out of Oklahoma. Phenomenal. You draft Nick Bolton to provide some linebacker health help behind Nick Kitchens. Two real needs that you saw in the Super Bowl late in that playoff run. Offensive line gets banged up, linebackers get banged up, and they really struggle to do to to 
block for Mahomes and to find playmakers at the second level, at the linebacker spot. And you know what? If they can keep that kid clean, he's a tackling machine, six foot, 232 pounds, so he's a little bit undersized, struggles to fight off blocks at times. But you know what? You keep him clean, and he's going to be able to make plays for you. So love those two picks. Then you go get uh, Joshua Kindo out of FSU. Long, rangy um, defensive end out of uh, out of FSU. 6'6", 265 pounds to try to get a little bit more pass rush. And then you go and get another tight end. 6'4", 240 pounds. Love this pickup. This is an H-back pickup. Listen, you want to go double tight end set, split Kelsey out, and you can put this kid on the line, off the line, H-back, wherever you need him. Round five, Noah Gray. Um, phenomenal pickup there uh, by the Chiefs at pick 162. Then you go get Cornell Powell, six foot, 205 pounds. Uh, kid out of Clemson, wide receiver with the 181st overall pick uh, to pair with Tyreek Hill, Mecole Hardman, Demarcus Robinson. He's going to have a chance to get on the football field. We know how much Kansas City likes to throw the football. Um, this kid's going to have a chance to, chance to contribute. And my ultimate offensive line sleeper right here, round six with the 226th overall pick, an absolute grader, road grader out of Tennessee, Trey Smith, 6'5", 331 pounds at the guard spot. Absolutely love what Kansas City did here, folks, providing more depth at the offensive line. They are now 8-9 deep at the offensive line spot. You got some good wide receiver depth, another weapon on uh, on offense, and tried to find a little bit of a pass rusher as well. Um, love Kansas City's draft in terms of what they did um, to add to their roster. Closing out with our last two teams here in the AFC West, let's move over to uh, the Los Angeles Chargers because really uh, th- I think this was probably one of the best divisions um, overall drafted from top to bottom. So let's take a look at the Chargers draft. And we looked at offensive line, linebacker, tight end, and uh, defensive line. We know that uh, that they lost Hunter Henry to the New England Patriots. They get a good veteran pickup in Jared Cook to replace that, which was a solid pick. But what better way to build around a young franchise quarterback than to keep him protected? What I thought was one of the best picks in the first round, and that is Ray Sean Slater, tackle out of Northwestern, 6'4", 305 pounds. He's got five position accessibility, flexibility, sorry, in terms of he can play anywhere on that offensive line if you ask him to. At 6'4", 305, not your traditional tackle build, but he's got long arms, so he's still long enough. He can still anchor against some of these um, big bull rushes and heavy pass rush coming from the other side. Absolutely love the pick. Then you go get with the 47th overall pick uh, in round two, Asante Samuel Jr. The To me, uh, the third or fourth best corner in this draft. Uh, has the lineage absolutely a ball hawk which is exactly what you're looking for um, for these uh, chargers in terms of trying to stop kansas city hey if you can get a couple pick sixes against mahomes and Carr um, and uh, those broncos teddy kjb or, or drew lock whoever's starting there uh, what a what a great way to do it in asante samuel jr then you go and get the wide receiver josh palmer out of tennessee 
great depth for wide receiver number three because there's not a lot of depth past Mike Williams and Keenan Allen on this roster. So I love the pickup there. And Josh Palmer, I think he's got a real good chance to be productive as a WR3 for the Chargers. Then they get the tight end Trey McKitty out of Georgia. Nice little pickup there. Uh, has an opportunity to learn from the veteran and Cook. Not going to really force him to get on the football field a whole lot to start until he gets going there. So I like that pick at the 97th with their second pick in the third round. Then they go Chris Rumpf out of Duke, edge. Uh, more of a 3-4 type of player. So it'll be interesting to see what Joel Lombardi does here in terms of the Bosa twins, or sorry, uh, with Bosa trying to find that opposite pass rusher there what will happen there then they go back to the well on the offensive line with brandon james guard slash tackle uh, prospect out of nebraska so you provide more uh, offensive line depth to keep herbert upright and then uh, i think another great pick out of iowa uh, the first overall pick in the sixth round 6'3 235 pounds can move sideline to sideline um in nick uh, nick nyman so i love Love, love, love the draft of the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. One of the sleeper drafts in my mind uh, in 2021 here. And before we send it off the break, let's close it out with the Las Vegas Raiders here in the AFC West, and then we'll do a quick little rundown. Hey, they lose uh, they lose Trent Brown to the Patriots in the trade. They're really trying to rebuild this offensive line for Derek Carr. As you look, or um, Troy Hudson walks out the door. And... You lose two of your mainstays on on that offensive line. They're able to re-sign Incognito. But what better way to go find yourself a right tackle opposite of Colton Miller in Alex Weatherwood. And whether, you know, he's probably the most talked about pick in that first round in terms of reach and non-reach. And like I said, I'm not here to, to give grades and tell you in definity whether Alex Weatherwood's going to be able to play um, at a high level or a Pro Bowl level for the next 10 years. For the Las Vegas Raiders, but what I do like is is it, it does address a positional need, and let me tell you, he's going to have full opportunity because I think he's going to be a plug and play at that right tackle spot for them, and uh, he's going to be thrown into the fire, and he's going to have to learn on the job real quick. So I do like the pick because it's it's getting good value for that 17th pick. It's not a project. It's not somebody that's going to sit for a year or play 31% of the snaps. This kid's going to get a lot of opportunity to learn. Could be some ups, could be some downs, but um, he'll definitely be on the football field. What I think was the, the pick of round two was the dynamic safety at a TCU, six foot two, 200 pounds, corner-like coverage skills, a dynamic player in center field, and that's Trayvon Morick. Um, love the pick. They needed help at safety. Great way to partner with Jonathan Abram. These two guys are going to be flying around the field for years to come for the Las Vegas Raiders. Then you then you come down, uh, and I mentioned it on the on our draft preview show. Two very important picks, and I thought they might trade one to try to move up or down here, but they st- stood firm in round three with the 79th and 80th pick back to back, taking Malcolm Coons at a Buffalo 6'2", 250. A um, little bit of a project here, a little bit of a reach in terms of uh, what his his draft grades were, if you will. And then a player I absolutely love, and they take him um, at the 80th overall pick in Divine Diablo, safety out of Virginia Tech, 6'3", 226 pounds. He would be a safety slash will linebacker. 
And then they back it right up with another safety at 6'1", 215 pounds out of Mizzou, Tyree Gillespie. And this brings me to my second and most important point when you look at this division and we've seen Denver do it and we now see the Los Angeles Raiders do it as, or the Las Vegas Raiders do it as well. And that is the safety linebacker hybrid type of players. I banged the table for Diablo. I wanted the Bills to get him. And the reason why I wanted the Bills to get him was for the tight end position. Okay, you look at New England with you know going old school back in the day with Gronk and Hernandez. Look what they've done. You know they get the get the kid out of uh, out of Tennessee coming over. They get Hunter Henry coming over from the Chargers. Double tight end set. Okay, we can run the ball. We can pass the ball. It's a mismatch. Look what you have at the tight end position in the AFC West. Probably the deepest from top to bottom in the starting tight ends and dynamic tight ends. And that list starts with you all know who the best tight end in the game, six foot five, two hundred sixty pound, biggest mismatch in the NFL, and Travis Kelsey, fifteen hundred yards receiving last year. <clears throat> then you go down to Darren Waller, six foot six, two hundred fifty five pound, almost almost uncoverable. Those two guys are. And then you come down, and what did the what did the Chargers do? Okay, they let Henry walk out the door, but they backfill it with Jared Cook. Jared Cook's done nothing but produce in the NFL for years, folks. Six foot nine, two, six foot five, two hundred fifty-four pounds. Another mismatch. And then you go to Denver. Don't sleep on this kid. He he was a project when they drafted him, but let me tell you, folks, he's gonna be real good. He's coming into year three. Six foot four, two hundred fifty pounds. Noah Fant. Okay, those are the that's the four deepest tight ends in any division in football. I, I would defy you to name me four better tight ends than that. Okay, so you look at this team, these teams, the Raiders. Broncos drafting these type of dynamic mismatches to dictate back to the offense because for years now, Kansas City and Las Vegas slash Oakland have been dictating these tight ends and these mismatches. So they're trying to find the opposite of that and to try to go get these types of players that can cover these guys that can handle the physicality on the on the six yard button hook and can that have the speed and the coverage skills to go 20 25 yards down the field on a seam route with cook or waller or kelsey all right or can handle that shake and bake so it'll be interesting to see um if uh, divine diablo or tyree gillespie can come in and really or or trayvon morgan as well uh can come in and, and help Las Vegas really to try to shut down some of these dynamic tight ends in this division. They paired up with Nate Hobbs, another corner out of uh, out of Illinois, and then it off with a depth offensive lineman in, uh, in Jimmy Morrison, a walk-on slash four-year starter. He's going to challenge Nick Martin on that offensive line. Um, I like this pickup in the seventh round as well, in the second, uh, second overall pick in the seventh round, 230 overall. Um, so another pr- a pretty good job. I'm giving all four of these teams in this division a thumbs up. I'm also going to tell you that this was the best drafted division in the NFL uh, by far. All of these teams, to me, did a great job in addressing positional needs, divisional needs, um, and what they need to stay competitive within their division. Well done from Ginger to the AFC West. Ranking them from top to bottom. Got to stick with my Chargers as, as the top. Then I'm going to go to the Denver Broncos and the Las Vegas Raiders, and then I'll end it off with the Kansas City Chargers with the lowest, just in terms of when, you, when you're 
the winner of the Super Bowl and you lose the next year in the Super Bowl, there's really not anybody that's going to come into this roster right away and, and really make a huge, huge distance difference. You're just providing depth. We may see some of these players down the road, week 12, 13, 14, when injuries start to pop up or they're a little bit more used to the scheme, make a little bit more of an impact. But I think in terms of uh, looking at from Denver to uh, the Chargers to uh, the Raiders, you know, Sertan, plug and play right off the bat. Javante Williams is going to get a good shot. Quinn Marners may, um, could possibly be a starter for Denver. Then you go down to the Chargers. Rayshon Slater, plug and play. Samuel, plug and play. Palmer's got a shot to, uh, to uh, produce right away. Then you go to the Raiders. Leatherwood, plug and play. Tray- Trayvon Morgan, plug and play. Diablo, going to be a, a, a spot for him in terms of uh, um, sub packages. Tyreek Gillespie could be a spot for him as well. Jimmy Morrison could, Morrissey could be a starter late in uh, late uh, in the season. So a little bit more of plug and play and, and, and impact players right away for, for some of the other teams comparatively to Kansas City. Folks, that's how I rank the AFC West, the NFC West. Thanks for Kyle Madsen for coming on and joining us. We're going to flip it over to break. When we get back from break, we're joined by Dutch, and we'll catch you on the flip side. We're taking out the trash. Get ready for Ginger's Garbage. It's not Starsky and Hutch. It's Ginger and Dutch. All right, listeners. Welcome back from break. We're on the other side of the flip side now here. And... Back again for the third week in a row. We don't call it Triple G for nothing. We might as well call it Triple Dutch now. Dutch, come on in here. The world of golf is heating up. we got some big majors in the ladies and men's game upon us. Some big guests join us uh, in the next couple weeks. But we got the mainstay. we got Dutch here. Come on in. I am pumped for your guests next week. And also, I wouldn't have been on this show with Mr. Keith Mitchell would have finished this off because big Dutch boy over here would have had a huge payday, a massive payday. I couldn't have even went on any any crazier with it. I wouldn't have been on the show. I'm sorry there, buddy. I would have been flying on a plane. But well, in any good. way, it was awesome. I'm happy to be back. I can't believe our picks. I can't wait to to discuss this week's uh, this week's topics. I'm excited about it. Yeah, we got a we got a big golf slate here, so let's get right into it before uh, before you get another winner and you find yourself in the in the nightclub at uh, the new Las Vegas Raiders Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that something, eh? Isn't that something? Yeah, but uh, hey, we're on the we're it's the start of the major season and we're we're off to it. And it started out with the old boys and on the Champions Tour or uh, the PGA Champions Tour here. Alex Cheka comes back from nowhere to win the Regents Tradition. Our boy Stevie Stricker was there. Uh, what'd you think? Yeah, a little John Daly-esque. Uh, if I recall, he was like the first alternate to get in there, check-in or Cheka, whatever we want to call him there. And, you know, he was a bit of a mainstay for a while on the tour, uh, at least on the European tour. Uh, it was nice to see. Stricker still has game for sure. Um, the Champions Tour is in a good spot. We saw it last week with uh, Weirzy and Daly and 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 you you're, you've got that Jerry Kelly who's always around. I think the talent is amazing there, and I'd go watch it if it was if there was a local one. I mean, there's some good golfers out there, and I I, I think it's just fun to watch. And I love the little three day event. I don't know. I, I I just I really like it, and 
Uh, good for good for the the Champions Tour for for getting all these guys in there. I thought it was great. What about you? Uh, I, what I thought was that I'm shocked that if I were to tell you that Alex Cheka made 14 million dollars in career earnings, would you believe me? No, that's what I was saying. He's a mainstay on the tour. It's back when we when we had Hearn on here and we were talking about his careers, and I think he was up to about 10 or so. Yeah, it, 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 you just don't see these guys, but it's. It's just amazing how much money is in these tours uh, for for these guys. It's just just tons of it, and uh, everybody can thank Tiger Woods for that, of course. Yeah, no, no doubt it. And in all seriousness, hey, 873rd on the World Golf Ranking just shows you exactly what you just said there. Golf is deep across the board from ages 19, from the junior ranks, the ladies' ranks, yeah. uh, through the PGA Tour, through um, the Corn Ferry Tour, uh, the McKenzie tour, which we'll get into all the way to the, the champions tour. It is deep. And any of these folks, men, lady, junior, like can win on these tours at any point in time. It's, it's absolutely unbelievable. And golf's in a great state. It, it is in a great state. And you know what, um, you, you know, senior tour, champions tour, PGA tour, and then, you know, looking at, at, at the, the up and coming ranks, I know you've got a little bone to pick right now with, uh, the corn fairy tour. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that with uh, what was just announced. And obviously there's some issues with McKenzie tour, obviously being in Canada and losing out on events, which uh, um, is not going to happen, but you, you, uh, you had some issues with uh, the corn fairy tour with what was just announced. So tell me, uh, tell me what's going on with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? This is going to be a little ginger's garbage. Cause I'm going to go on a little rant here because I think, I think the powers that be at the PGA tour, because that's truly who controls these, these tours here and, and these development tours as we talk about the Corn Ferry Tour and the PGA McKenzie Tour, i.e. the old Canadian Tour. But, you know, we, we got wind last week that, that, that they're going to increase purses and they're going to increase them Dutch about 67%. Well, I don't know what in this world increases 67%. Nothing that I've ever been involved with, that's for sure. But it's absolute bullshit in my mind. And you know why? When you look at it here, the average corn ferry tour event right now, uh, the purse is going from anywhere from uh, about six hundred to about six hundred and fifty thousand. Okay, by twenty twenty two, that's going up to three quarters of a. And by twenty twenty three, every event on the corn ferry tour is going to be over a million dollars in purse. Okay, that's great. That's great for the corn ferry tour. But what about the McKenzie tour? Right, they're they're slumming it down there, playing for two hundred thousand dollars the winner's getting an average purse of twenty five thousand the average winner purse for the corn the corn ferry tour is well up over one hundred twenty thousand dollars now it's got to trickle down you you want the Derek gillespies of the world you you want these players that are that are living out of their cars living breathing sweating absolutely everything in golf and putting their life savings everything they have just to try to get one shot just to try to make it well you know what? You'd probably have more players stick around if you increase those purses and get those up. You know, so let's let's spread the wealth a little bit here and let's make that McKenzie tour where we can actually have people on that tour that can make a living. Okay, a hundred in 2018. That was the last real true true McKenzie tour figure in 2018. A hundredth on the money list. You want to know what they made Dutch? Twelve thousand eight hundred and seventy-seven dollars. Yeah. Okay. Remember our pal, remember our pal Sang Moon Bay? You know that name, right, Dutch? Sang Moon yep. Bay. Okay. Yep. Last year on the Corn Ferry Tour, he was 100th on the list. You want to know how much he made? 
$77,000. It's absolutely horseshit, Dutch. We've got to feed some of the money down to these guys to keep them there because there's tons of good players down there. Tyler McCumber, you want? I could keep the list going and going. Jimmy Furyk, Steve Stricker, let's keep them going. But we've got to get some of these guys money because there's too many guys leaving, getting into insurance and other industries when we could see more good players coming up through the ranks. I'm dropping the mic. That's my rant over. I agree. Listen, I, I agree. And if it's a, if it's about trying to develop, I totally uh, agree. But why are you so offended? I mean, it, isn't it really just about sponsorship? I mean, you know, is it is it the McKenzie Tour that's got to do a better job? Or are you holding the PGA responsible for, you know, shredding some of that money down the the ranks? Uh, you know, because what is it ultimately about? I mean, it's it's the sponsorships that are putting forth the money for these purses. So, you know, is, is like, why are you I mean, I, I, I get it, but I want our listeners to know maybe why are you so offended about it? Well, I'm, I'm pissed off at the PGA Tour that they've okay. got they've got to get some if they've got 40 million dollars to hang out to, to and wave as a little carrot for for Tiger Woods and and uh, Bubba Watson to have fun on Twitter. Then come on, you got to be able to shell out more than twelve thousand eight hundred seventy seven dollars for Steve Smith who finishes a hundredth and is living out of the trunk of his car. I agree. Let I that agree. guy make a living here. Come on. I agree. But we talk about that in our purses when we play on our PGA events and stuff. And, you know, you know, you're talking club professional to a, 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 a working professional to a teaching professional, et cetera. And, and we look at why isn't there any more money, et cetera. So I, I get where you're, I, I get where you're going with it, but you know, don't you have to, you know, the argument is always, well, play better. Yeah, but sometimes it's a, you know that when you're playing for to be able to buy dinner that night, it's a lot different than being able to play with that not thought that thought not even coming to your mind. No, no, you're I not, agree. You're, you're not even worried about the next meal or, or or buying a shirt or you know paying your car payment or your cell phone bill. You know, I look agree. at look at Mike, uh, Mike that Mike Vesecki, uh who who Monday qualified at the the Valspar. Yeah, you know, talking about how. His parents couldn't even, you know, he, they were buying meals for him and they were skipping out on eating dinner. You know, listen, it's a, it's a great debate and it'll always be a good topic. I, I do. I agree with it full, full, all the way in. Um, maybe there should be something that comes to, comes about that's, you know, the purses are a little bit more in their expenses they're taking care of and stuff. So it allows them to to not worry about life in general when they're. Yeah. So that's where, where I'm going to go with this. You know, they've got the talent, but, you know, when, when money and, and, and living expenses, et cetera, take over and the stress of, I, if I don't make the cut, I, I can't afford to go to the next event. Yeah, you're right. Maybe, maybe that's the way we should be looking at it. Put some more money into it so that these guys can, can concentrate on what they do best and maybe all the tours will be strengthened. So, uh, yeah, that's my take. I, I, I'm going to go on your side on this one totally. I couldn't agree more. All right. Well, I, I'm glad I got one somebody on my side. That's for sure. But Dutch, I wanted to uh, segue over into what what I wanted to talk about here, and we've we've had this on the slate for for a couple weeks now. And and you know, it's it's not that I'm I'm frustrated with it, but I'm I'm tired of hearing this this whole argument about uh you know it's all about distance on the tour and and you know it, the game's about bombing it as far as you can. It it, it is to an extent, but I want to talk about what what you feel is the most important part. In professional golf, um, and we can look at the PGA Tour specifically because that's probably where we're going to get our most uh, our most statistics in terms of 
is it is it the driver? Am I missing something? And is it is it the bomber's game, or is it still an iron game, or is it is it just a putting game on tour? What what are your thoughts? What have you found? Because I know you've looked into it, um, or is it a combination of everything? You're you're gonna have your rant on it. I'll start with mine, and and let's just take the name out of the equation. But I'll say it for a second, Rory McIlroy. Um, if I'm correct, 52 for 52 from six feet. That's um, correct. The last time I checked, you need to win tournaments by by putting. And I know the distance is unreal right now on the tour. Everybody's hitting a 300 plus. They're playing a 500-yard par four almost every day when it used to be unheard of except for at a U.S. Open. They include that with a 600-plus-yard par five all the time. I, but I still ultimately believe that it comes down to putting. Okay. You look at the, the analytics might tell you differently, but you look at this last stretch here, okay? Um, and I know you wanted to talk about Abram Anser because he was part of your picks and he also he also doesn't hit the ball that far. But, you know, I look at the last six winners besides Rory, who's second in driving distance. The other four, and I couldn't find Sammy Burns there for some reason. I don't know why I couldn't get it loaded up, but you're looking at 24th, 89, 97, and 116 respectively. These are five of the last six guys that have won a tour event. Those weeks that they've won, they've been in the top 20 or better in putting in those weeks. So in my mind, it ultimately still comes down to strength. I'm not saying distance. I'm saying strength these guys, but it's the putting. Yeah, okay, when, when, when Bryson's on, clearly when Rory's on, it's all about the rock. Look at Jordan Spieth. It's all about the rock. If you can roll the rock, you will win tournaments. And I think distance, the way these guys hit it, I mean, if they're going to get into fairways, Ginger, okay, it doesn't matter because at 200 yards, they're hitting seven irons in or six irons in or eight irons in, depending on who it is. Whereas we're hitting fours and five irons in and depending on the wind, I mean, we might even be hitting hybrids in. So um, yeah, that helps, but, you still have to pot, man. And that's what it comes down to. Yeah. You know what? I, I agree to, I agree to a certain extent and, and, you know, with, with looking into the numbers that one thing I do agree, I agree on the putting and I agree one wholeheartedly on, on the distance thing. The only thing I'd put in on the distance thing is this, is that you've got to at least hit it a minimum distance. Okay. We right. know that we know that the tour average is like you said, it's, it's 295, 300 yards. To me, you've got to hit it at least 285 yards to be able to compete. To me, when I looked at that list of, of you know, all drives and, and driving distance and, and driving in a hole, it kind of got to that that point at 285 yards where anybody below that 285 mark just can't contend. Like, they, they just might be too far back where where no matter how good of an iron player is, if it's like you said, if you're coming in from 200 and the next guy's coming in from 150, well, you can be a great iron player from 200 but you better be magnificent because the odds and and the numbers are going to tell you that the guy routinely over a full season on tour from 150 is going to hit it closer than you are from 200 no matter how good you are from 200 and maybe maybe that's exactly the reason why a guy like answer hasn't won because he's he's definitely a fairway and green guy um but you're right maybe he's just not as close as the other guys i mean ultimately as i keep saying it does come down to putting but you know, if you're farther out, maybe you're not as close into the greens and maybe you're having 30 footers instead of 20 footers. But when I, when you see the the display that that Rory and, and, and we're going to get to this uh, probably in about two minutes on how 
um, crazy our picks were, and you just you smashed another winner out, and we're so happy and pumped for Rory. But come on, tell me the last time that you made thirty six footers in a row out on a golf course. I, I don't care how never, good of a role never. You're, you're an extremely good putter, and I remember in your glory days there, and I know you still have lots of glory days to go, but I remember for those two years. It didn't matter where you were, no matter what you chipped, you know, anything five to 10 feet, you were rolling it in. But I can tell you, there's no chance in hell you ever made 62 straight or sorry, 52 straight six quarters. No, never, never. So it really comes down to that. Yeah. You know what? I, I look at, I look at from, from putting to distance to, to greens and regulation. And, and I keep coming back to one thing and that's, the, the one list that, that stood out to me with all, from all the statistics and analytics was strokes gained from tee to green. So off the tee, irons, and, and scrambling, okay? And you combine those three together, and it gives you kind of that stroke gains distance, okay? And we're going to take – I'm just going to run you through the, the, the quick list of the top 25, okay? Yep. And tell me if you like these names. Bryson, Morikawa, JT, Rom. Keegan, Hovland, Matt Wallace, Corey Connors, Finau, Zalatoris, Cantley, DJ, Garcia, McElroy, Alexander, Paul Casey, Brooks Gepka, Hideki Matsuyama, and Webb Simpson. Those are just a few of the names in the top 25 in that category. Yep. Sound familiar? Yeah, 100%. That's the, right, the, so, that's the TGA Tour right now. That's right, right? So it's a, I think I think – you know, it's a, it's a combination of everything. I think it's, you gotta be, you gotta be solid off the tee. You can't just be, you know, bombing it left, right and center and missing fairways and, and not hitting decent iron shots and be a so-so putter and still win on tour. You gotta have a combination of everything and you've got to get hot with the putter. That'll put you over into the winner circle in my mind. And you named all those guys and they're, they're, it's so, it's so competitive out there and there's so many guys coming back from, you know, a year or a year and a half, i.e. Spieth, i.e. Rory, guys that are coming back and back to the winner's circle. I mean, what what can we expect? We've got another big tournament coming up this week. Um, I can't wait to to hear your picks. Um, PGA Tour or PGA Championship is, is the following week. And, it, oh, man, we are in such an awesome spot right now, except for the fact that we're not playing golf here in Ontario. But other than that, it's it's – I'm I'm just jacked. I can't wait. I look forward to to the weekend every weekend just to watch golf and to see where we're going, especially uh, when we get lucky and hit our picks. Yeah, for sure. And and let's talk about those picks. Um, oh boy, what a what a what a great week! You know, you had Victor Hovland, you had Keith Mitchell. Um, I had Rory and and Keith as well, and I had to do a last minute sub in uh, for those that were following along on on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, subbed in Abe Answer at uh, you know. A last-minute sub after Webby had to withdraw from from the neck injury there, so we ended up having one, two, four, uh, one, two, three, four, which is absolutely unheard of. Nobody, nobody in nobody in North America. I looked through it all, and I, I want our listeners to remember this and pass it along to your people because one day we're going to be doing this for a living. And I'm telling you, there is nobody hotter on the planet right now than the ginger bread man and the dutch boy right now we are rolling i like i said i wish it was mitchell because we would have just hit pay dirt i was talking to our calorie rep uh um yesterday and and we got to to go and he was uh he was um smart and put a put a bet in uh early um after thursday when rory went uh backwards and got him out of good odds and just it was just a a hell of a week and and well done great picks um 
it was just unbelievable. It's so pumped to hear to see Rory back in the winner's circle and and look out because you remember when he did this last time after a little bit of a drought, he went on to win two or three events that the, later in that summer. So he's got to be, you know, if not the favorite, one of the favorites for the uh, the PGA coming up next week. I wanted I wanted to just quickly talk on Rory before we get over to uh, to the Byron Nelson at uh, at Craig Ranch here. Isn't it funny how we how we watch these guys? You know, DJ comes to mind. Uh, you know, a young Tiger comes to mind. Duvall comes to mind, and now Rory. You know, they hit draws all their life, and then all of a sudden, they go back to the old cutter, and they find themselves in the winner's circle. Like when DJ went on that run, it was because he learned how to hit the power cut off the tee. The ginger cut, baby. The ginger it's, cut. Absolutely. Right? Like it's it's funny how it isn't the game just so cyclical that way. And it's you can you can talk to a fade, but you can't talk to a draw, I guess, right? Yep, absolutely. I I I did question his his tee shot on 18. I know 18 yeah. was one of the toughest holes all day. I did question that, you know, it, it's maybe easy to say for if it's you or me in the, you know, in that, that opportunity or, a, or a, let's say a Keith Mitchell or that, but, but Rory's driver is his go-to and I just don't understand why he didn't just blast a driver out there. And so what if it went into the Creek, he would have been farther up and would have been even in a better situation. Instead, he, he, I believe he hit five wood off the tee there and, yep. and some other hooks it and, and, thank God that they, they, they talked it through and, and made the right decision there because it, it could have been a disaster and he could have ended up losing. Um, he got lucky. He got to place the ball with uh, Ben and the rules of golf, which, uh, which they all do out there. And he took advantage of it and was able to, to knock that, you know, call it after the penalty, the third shot on the green and the rest was history. But you know what? Maybe he was right. You know, he talked about, and he said it in this post game interview, he talked about um, the fans and, you know what? He, he he clearly talked the talk because he he said over this last year and a bit about how his struggles were, um, how it was so hard out there without the fans and and you know the fans are back. That was one of the bigger crowds of the season and and he backed it up by by winning and saying, uh, I need these people here and and they helped me and the fact that he had won there before and that was the reason why you picked them and. It, it was a perfect spot for him because they were all rah-rah for Rory and, and he just, he, he rode them like they were a, a part of his, his posse all the way through. And it was, uh, it was nice to see. So um, kudos for him. Uh, he's uh, nice to see, uh, you know, first win as a dad and uh, there's bigger and better things to come this year for Rory, even though I doubted him and I counted him out probably a month ago. I said, man, he's, uh, he's, he's turning into a little bit of a Duvall there. So it was nice, nice to see. Yeah, no doubt. Well, let's uh, let's flip over now to uh, TPC at Craig Ranch here. I walk Tom Weiskopf designed par 72, 7,400 yards with an absolute touch. Have you heard about this practice facility? They got a 14,000 square foot putting green, and they've got a 100 yard short game uh, area, double double sided with bunkers and greens and everything. Absolutely phenomenal facility and a tough track at that. 77.5 rating, slope of 147 for our listeners out there that love to test their game. But uh, I'm going to go right to your picks. Who do you who do you like this week, Dutch? Let us know. Sure. Yeah. And before you do those picks, there. Yeah, I did look at the the facility. Uh, I, I I took some overhead views. Uh, looked at it. It looks phenomenal. I know they hosted a uh, uh, the tour championship there for the Corn Ferry uh, back in. I think it was 08 and 12, and that was before it was Corn Ferry. Um, but they've hosted some events, but never on the PJ Tour. The place looks unreal. Uh, it should be fun. My theme. 
this week is everything's bigger in Texas. Love it. Love it. So here we go. Um, how can you not think of Mr. Texas himself? He, he got himself back in the winner's circle a few weeks back in Texas, and that's Mr. Jordan Spieth. He's my top dog of the week, 15 to 1. He's been on an absolute roll of late, although, you know, quietly, you know, he did he did get covid there wasn't he wasn't crazy down and out but he did get covid he was out for uh, the last uh, i think it was the last two weeks now but i i just you know what how can you not pick him uh, in texas he has played there before um he's obviously played there a bunch because he's a local native um and i think they're going to the fans will be rooting for him so he's my guy jordan speeth as my my big dog of the week i love right. it I'm doubling down on that one too, Dutch. Oh, nice, buddy. Nice, nice. I knew we would have one one this week. So, uh, oh, well, it's all good. I, I love it. I love it. My rock steady pick of the week, 50 to 1. He is on a heater and nobody talks about him. I think I picked him maybe seven or eight weeks ago. He's had 14 straight cuts made. He's another local dude playing pretty. I think he's playing outstanding golf right now without winning. He's had a top four. Uh, he's had a T2, um, and this could be his time to shine again this week, and that's Mr. Ryan Palmer at 50-1. to 1. Uh, Going back to the Palmer. Going back to the Palmer. My sleeper of the week, I dug deep. I dug, dug real deep at 156-1. to 1. Woo! He played well last week. I know he had a crazy final round. It was not so good. He shot 77. It was a T58 at the Fargo. Uh, but he's showing signs. He's really showing signs. Uh, uh, he was uh, T10 at the Valero, Texas, hence the reason why everything's bigger in Texas. So maybe the Texas air might just vault him into a top five finish or better. Um, Peyton Kazari, that's all I can say. I know it's been a while since he's been in the winner's circle, but I just like him at where he is on that board. I think he's a sleeper pick there that could uh, could squeeze me into that top five again, just like Mr. Keith Mitchell did. Oh, I love it. I like those picks, Dutch. Everything's bigger in Texas, baby. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just like our guest we had on uh, last week there, Kevin uh, Kevin Turner. Yes, sir. Yes, Cowboys, yes, baby. yes, sir. So who are your other two picks? Obviously, you got Jordan. If you want to shed any more light on uh, on Jordan Spieth or, uh, or are you going with your other two? No, I'll th- you know what? How could you not take Jordan? He, he, two, tied for 18th in 2016, T21 in 2018, uh, inside the top 30 again last year. Uh, he's been playing well. You, you cannot talk, not take uh, take Jordan for sure. My rock steady pick of the week. You know what? He won uh, this event in 2018, uh, T40 in 2019. And I know the golf courses are different, and, and it made it tougher for me because you know how heavily I like to rely on on uh you know past past events and and sure. the golf courses and how well they've done there but uh quietly with a t9 last week at uh, at the wells fargo 55 to 1 i'm going aaron wise yeah i like rock that steady pick, rock steady pick of the week i had him on my radar for sure i like it and you know what um i ha- i've had a, i actually got a couple dark horses here i'm gonna go through one specifically and i'll just throw the other two names out there quickly but uh you mentioned that that uh, web.com uh, tour championship event here at uh, TPC Craig Ranch in 2012. And the top three golfers in that event were Justin Boley, okay, who's uh, I don't think he's on any tour right now. Third was Adam Hadwin, who's not playing this week. And second place was James Hahn, okay. In 2017, he was T5 at this event at 140 to 1. 
I'm going with James Hahn as my dark horse pick of the week. Good research. I love it, buddy. I love it. I'm excited uh, again. I got a couple others for our listeners out there if, they, if they're if they interested. 2019, he was T5. 2018, he was T13 in this event. He's showing some decent form. He was inside the top 20 the last two weeks. I'm going with Rory Sabatini as well as a, as a potential dark horse if you're looking for good value. And the Texan, Scott Piercy. T two in two or T six in two thousand nineteen, T thirty two in two thousand eighteen, tied twenty in two thousand seventeen in this event at one fifty to one, worth a two dollar bet to me. Oh, I'd say it was worth a worth a two dollar bet. I love it. I love your picks. I I think we've got some great value for your listen for the listeners and and you know I'm hoping they're passing it along. Hopefully it's going to come. Um, or we're going to get, get our chance to, to, to send it out there. You start to looking at, like I said, you look at all those other event, um, all those other, uh, prognosticators. I know this isn't the NFL football here, but you know, you can make some money off of golf. And if, if you made a, a doesn't matter what dollar figure, but there was tens of thousands of dollars to be won, uh, last week with our picks with having the top four in there. So, um, everybody pay attention, listen up because, uh, we're having some fun with it. Um, we only, uh, we only bet little coins here, but we're, we're definitely having some fun, uh, um, great picks and, uh, let's hope we keep this ride going. That's, uh, you know, two winners, uh, two winners of the last three weeks there, Jen. So keep it going. That's it. That's right. Well, let's keep it going. And, uh, for all our listeners out there, make sure you're following us along Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, um, at triple G. Make sure you're tuning in tomorrow night. Dutch, I know you're, uh, you'll are you be tuning in tomorrow night. Uh, we're doing a live Instagram show with the Greek talking NFL schedule, road trips, strength of schedule, primetime games. we got a bunch going on. We also got back-to-back uh, preview weeks, our PGA Championship week with a huge guest next week live who will be live from Kiowa Island. And then we're going to do another preview the week after on the ladies' U.S. Open. Let's go, Brooke. Get your red and white palm, uh, palms out. And that'll be uh, at the Olympic Club in California. So make sure we got some big episodes coming up, folks. So make sure you're tuning in. And uh, Dutch, thanks again. Hey, um, absolutely appreciate coming on and looking forward to tomorrow. Maybe I might even just pop on and uh, and give you uh, give you guys a little rah uh, rah cheer here when uh, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, start the uh, or sorry, I should say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers start the opening uh, season schedule against your beloved Buffalo Bills. Well, let's hope so. And thanks for tuning in to Triple G, Ginger's Gridiron, and Golf Podcast.